Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles, open them, would you? Ephesians chapter 6 today. Ephesians chapter 6 in a Bible study that I've entitled, Parents Matter. And what a privilege it is to be entrusted with children. As we read in the psalm today, Psalm 127 verse 3, children are a heritage from the Lord. They're not an intrusion. They're not an accident. Children are a heritage from the Lord. And happy is the man and happy is the woman whose quiver is full of them. Parents, you matter. You matter so much more than you probably realize today. God has entrusted to you the next generation to love, to care, to raise, to launch into the world as lovers of Jesus. And let's start right at the beginning here and remind you parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, no matter what role you have in a child's life, let me remind you parents, you have one goal. You have a singular goal with your children. You don't have five goals. You don't have 10 goals. You don't have 30 primary goals. You have one primary goal, and it's this. Get your kid to Jesus. Reveal the cross, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's your goal. That's not my responsibility. It's your responsibility. That, That is the target for your kids. It's a singular goal. It's not, what's important for your kids is not what their career is. It's not where they go to school. It's not how they excel in sports. Your singular goal is to get your kids to Jesus so that they might know him personally, serve him wholeheartedly, and live eternally in his presence. Get your kids to Jesus, parents. That's your goal. That's your responsibility. Because there's a battle for your kid's mind and for your kid's life a spiritual battle. It can't even be overstated, so I'll state it very simply. There is a spiritual warfare, a contest, if you will, for your child's heart and loyalty. It's fierce and never-ending. For your kid, you gotta put yourself in your kid's shoes for a second. There are so many choices and so much confusion in their life right now. And I'll tell you, in the world culture that we're in, with all the confusion, all the choices, they need a stable home. They require a stable home, a place of refuge, because the world is so very attractive. And unfortunately, our Christian homes today can be so confusing. Mixed messages. And who hurts but the kids? The kids are vulnerable. And it's a wise choice parents make to relentlessly pursue your obedient submission to Jesus, abiding in him, so you can teach your kids and lead your kids and show your kids the way in which they should go. Hold your place in Ephesians. I asked you to open there first, but would you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6? One of the foundational principles in all the Bible when it comes to parenting is right here in the Shema, the prayer that a Jewish man would say every morning. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, pick up with me there in verse 4. I want you to see it in your own Bibles rather than just read it to you. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Verse 9, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The Jewish men, the Jewish women, take this seriously. Even today, if you will go to Israel with us, you'll see that the conservative religious Jews still put for their prayer time, they attach a box to their forehead, they wrap their arms, and through every doorway in Israel, there's a little box there with scriptures with this in it, inside, written in Hebrew, approved by an approved rabbi. They take this seriously in a religious way, but God is saying, I don't want you to take it seriously in a religious way. I want you to live this way. This is how I want you to live your life. I want you to live your life in such a way where you're talking about and living about, about the things of God in your home, knowing the commands of God, meditating upon them. This enables you to understand God's heart and apply them with your kids. The parents are in a position, you, you and I as parents are in a position to imprint them on our children's heart as well. Here's the danger. And if this is your approach to parenting, then it needs to change right away. And it's simply this. And it may never even be spoken, although I think in older generations they would say this even out loud. But it's not acceptable in any way. Don't think at all that you're going to be able to to parent your kids and get them to Christ with this attitude. Do as I say, but don't do as I do. That's not going to work. It's not going to work whether you say it or whether you live it, whether you imply it. Giving your children one set of expectations, but then you live them out in a different way. I'll tell you what, your kids will learn and lean toward an easy way out. And they will ignore what we say and actually do what we do. They can, you know, your kids are intelligent, super smart. They can smell hypocrisy a mile away. They may not have the language to communicate it. They may not be able to say it. They may not have the freedom to call you out and go, you know what, dad, you're a hypocrite. Probably not really wise for them to do that. So what do they do? They take it inside, they process it. They take it inside and they go, you know what? Mom's a hypocrite, then I can be a hypocrite. And if, if they can learn how to put on a show, then I can put on a show. And they begin to live their lives as they follow you. We have to remember that our kids at any age, especially when they're young, they wrestle with the flesh too, just like you do. In their carnality, they're looking for a reason to sin, just like you, except they don't have the the developmental, as they're progressing in growing up, they don't have the developmental you know, capacity to deal with sin like you do. They, they don't really quite understand it all. They don't know how to process it. So they need an example of what it looks like for an adult to live their life as unto the Lord. And it's good to be reminded here before we jump into Ephesians 6 that raising your kids is not the church's responsibility. It's not our responsibility as a church family to raise your children. It's not the Sunday school teachers or the pastors who oversee the youth group. The primary responsible person for raising kids is you and me. 
It's my responsibility to raise my kids. It's not your responsibility. Now, of course, I have the privilege now of looking back and saying, well, I've raised my kids into adulthood. Along the way, making many, many mistakes. But it's not my responsibility to raise your kids. Although, I do want to live in such a way where my life can be an example to your kids. That I can live in such a way where I can encourage your kids and serve your kids and help your kids. And really what the role of the church family is to partner with you. The pastors here aren't to replace you. We have no desire to replace you. But rather to partner with you. To support you. To encourage you. To instruct you. To pray for you. But it's not our responsibility. The church is a place of instruction. Yes. But only to the point of encouraging you and helping you as we partner with you, supporting you in your role to raise your kids. Jot this down, Proverbs chapter 22, verse six. Proverbs chapter 22, verse six. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. There's a couple things in this verse that are important to address. First of all, you have a responsibility to train up your children. The word literally speaks of stimulating, the Hebrew word here, stimulating an appetite for. So it's in your life of training and disciplining your children that you stimulate an appetite to worship the God that you worship. Because really, your kids are gonna follow you no matter what. They're gonna follow in your footsteps. They're going to stay close to you until a point where they decide we're gonna do my own thing. And then they have a bigger choice to make. But our responsibility is to train them up. And it has to take root in you first, energizing you first, changing you on the inside first so that it will flow naturally out of you into those, especially those little hearts that God has entrusted you with. You have the awesome privilege of training your kids. They're moldable. They're shapeable. They're changeable. They're even unpredictable. But God has given you a special relationship with them specifically. And then the second part of that verse is often misunderstood because some of you listening to me, you have what we know as prodigal kids. They are no longer walking with God the way you raised them. And you come back to this verse and go, wait a minute, Ed, wait a minute. It says when they're old, they won't depart from it. But perhaps you're reading this in such a way where you're reading it, you train them up and they'll never depart. And I don't believe that's what's happening in the context of the Hebrew language here. What I think is, what I think he's saying is when, when you're training up a child in a way it should go, they will not depart permanently. And one way that I like to remind you, and Jesus picks up on this when he teaches and he gives parents a specific, he gives parents with prodigal kids a specific parable to encourage you. And I don't believe they'll leave permanently. I believe real prodigals come home. That's what Jesus said. True prodigals will come home. And we don't want to lose heart. And we want to back, you go, well, that's not the way I raised them. And that's true. That's not the way you raise them. And that's not what we train them. That's true. And so that's what you hold to as you look to God bringing them home and really praying the impossible prayer, isn't it? Sometimes I pray it for you because it can't come out of your lips. And that's, I'll pray it with you. And it's even hard for me to pray for prodigal kids, but I'll pray, whatever it takes, Lord, bring them home. Whatever it takes. Very painful. Very painful, but it's necessary. It's better for them to experience temporary pain to bring them back to a relationship with the Lord. Perhaps today you're a prodigal. An adult prodigal, a kiddo, you're just putting on a show, but in your heart you're far from God. God's calling you back. It's not the way you were trained, not the way you were discipled, not the way you were taught. 
and you've chosen to live a life of misery right now. Oh, no, Ed, you don't understand. It's so much better now. I'm just, oh, I'm so much more happy. Yeah, it's just all temporary foolishness. You're not as happy as you think you are. I mean, because you know as well as I do, when you put your head down on the pillow at night, there's something missing. There's a battle going on. Because you know the way that God has taught you and your parents have. There are those times, those difficult times, parents, that you might want to just give up and throw in the towel because parenting is so hard. But God has encouragement for you. He wants to teach you how to feed your kids, not just physically, but spiritually. He wants to teach you how to clothe your kids, not just physically, but spiritually. How to house them, how to protect them, how to grow them. It was Dorothy Nolte that once wrote down these thoughts. If a child lives with criticism, he'll learn how to condemn. If a child lives with hostility, she'll learn how to fight. If a child lives with ridicule, she'll learn how to be shy. If a child lives with shame, he learns to feel guilty. If a child lives with tolerance, he learns to be patient. If a child lives with encouragement, she learns confidence. If a child lives with praise, she learns to appreciate. If a child lives with fairness, he learns justice. If a child lives with security, he learns to have faith. If a child lives with approval, she learns to like herself. If a child lives with acceptance and friendship, he or she learns to find love in the world. Listen to the words. Criticism, hostility, ridicule, shame, tolerance, encouragement, praise, fairness, security, approval, acceptance, and friendship. Some of you might have paused at that word tolerance, and I just want to remind you, don't let the world define words for you. Don't immediately go, oh, you know, the world's crying. Tolerance is a good thing in the hands of God. When it gets all redefined and gets twisted around, of course we don't want to go with the flow of the culture. But don't be afraid and don't throw away good words because the world tried to rip them off. You want to learn tolerance and nuance is a beautiful word is how we interact with one another. It's not the approval of sin. It's not the dismissal of black, things that are black and white. Listen, parents, your kids need to know there is a right and a wrong. Your kids need to know that there are things that are simply black or white. You go to the left or to the right. And you're the ones that are going to show them both in word and in deed. So here we have in Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to pick up at verse 1 because we covered this last time, but just for context, notice in verse 1 it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. And then here's the instruction to parents. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. And so the question becomes, parents, who are you listening to in learning how to be a parent? And, and let's just say at the outset here that many of us picked up our parenting tips from the home in which we grew up in. And you know, you've got to cut your parents some, a break. They did the best that they could with the resources that they had. You just got to understand that, just like you. Right now, you're doing the best that you can with the resources that you have, and most likely, you've taken an approach that you want to do a little bit better than your parents, or in some cases, a lot better, and you want to improve. 
And, and yet the, the point is, as a parent, you're like, well, you know, here I am. I'm parenting the best that I can, and my kids will never be able to improve on me. <laughs> no, your kids are going to do the same thing. They're going to look back and go, oh, I wish it was this, and I wish it was that. And, and they're going to want to improve and improve and improve. This is not a time, parents. I mean, listen, as a pastor, I know anytime we talk about a couple of different topics, there's immediate condemnation that pops up. One of those topics is prayer. I mean, when I start talking about prayer, everyone's like, yeah, I could pray more. I could pray. Oh, I'm such a horrible person. I can't pray. I don't pray enough. And you just always have to be sensitive to that because it's not God's heart to beat you up over your prayerlessness. He just wants to talk to you. That's all. He wants you to enjoy your prayer life. Same with parenting. We look back and just think, man, I am just, I have failed so much as a parent. You have. It's true. You're not a perfect parent. And maybe even today your kids are throwing it back in your face. You, you can't allow the condemnation of the enemy to come because you failed. Of course you failed. So have I. And, and together, kids and parents, we learn to what? The Bible says love covers a multitude of sins. And hopefully in our failures, we've learned from them. We've grown past them. And we extend grace and love to each other in the family. But this is not a time to beat yourself up over past mistakes. It's just simply a time to acknowledge the forgiveness of sin and to say, you know what? You're right. I've blown it. But we've all blown it. There isn't a parent listening to me that can stand up and go, you know what, Ed? I am the only parent that's never made a mistake. Can we talk to your kids, please? We will put them on speakerphone right now because we know that's not true. So don't beat yourself up. And it's never too late to make a course correction in life. It's never too late. It's never too late to address this and go, you know what? That's an area I need to change. That's an area I need to get back to. That's an area even with my adult kids that I want to improve on. You want to listen. You don't want to listen to pop psychology on how to parent. You don't want to listen to whatever the latest YouTube series or what, what new thing in culture. This is how you parent. This is how you parent. No. You want to follow what God's word says. And God's word does have instruction. And I love how simple it is here. Parents, there's really two things being said here. One in the positive, well, I would start one in the negative, and then one in the positive. Two things in parenting. Very simple. Number one, don't provoke your kids. Don't make life harder for them than it already is. Don't take advantage of them. You could say a lot of different things about provoking your kids. Don't rule over them. Don't harm them. Don't abuse them. Value them as the human beings that they are. You know, your kids are human beings in the womb already. Worthy of respect, love, honor, care within the family unit that God has given you. Don't provoke them. And then secondly, in a positive, do. So don't provoke them. But what are we to do? It says bring them up in training and admonition. Or you could also say encouragement. You could say you're, you're there to teach them how to follow God, to train them, to exhort them, to obey God. Very simple. Although in its simplicity, we almost just gloss over it like it's an impossibility. It's not. And it's tragic that through a parent's behavior, a child's will can be broken and their spirit can be crushed because we don't take heed to this. And that's where 
in that book by James Dobson, The Strong Old Child, that's the, I learned that concept from him. I didn't know that I could crush my little kid's spirit. I didn't know that. That was, a, that was not something that I had in my toolbox as a parent. I mean, really, I became his parent as an unbeliever, so I had nothing in my toolbox. And I just went on, like some of you might be doing, on my own, just making it up as I go. But that was tragic. And God saw that tragedy and intervened in my life, turned things around soon enough where we could recover and I could grow. But even as a believer, I made mistakes along the way with all of my kids, all the way through, as each of them were unique and required a unique approach. It wasn't one size. Wouldn't that be nice, one size fits all? You just go down to the rest cafe and order, let me have a large cup of parenting. And we just start giving them away. It's like, no, we're not even charging for that. We're giving you two cups and three cups. Take them all, but it's not that way. We gotta be praying and seeking God for how we're to parent each of our kids, and in some cases, grandkids, great-grandkids, nieces, nephews, the children that you have influence on. It's very important we recognize that. So what does he say in verse four? He says, fathers. And this is a direct instruction to fathers. Although there is application for parents, it really is a word to fathers. This is a strong word to dads. Dads, you lead the home. Dads, you are the head of the home. Again, we already studied this as all the studies go together, remember? You're the head of your home. You're responsible for your home, but Jesus is the head of you. And so he has the authority in your life. But he's given, vested that authority to you to lead your home. And one of the ways you don't want to lead is by provoking your kids. And I have to admit, this was one of the areas of my life that I thought was a dad's responsibility, especially with my firstborn as an unbeliever, you know, just, just teasing them, knocking them upside the head, pushing them around, having fun, because we're boys, you know. The kid was four years old, three years old, intimidated by dad. And I, I, I wonder what would have happened had God not intervened. It is not, it's not, your kids aren't to be beat up and mess around and tease and knock on the side of the head. They are to be loved, cared for, cherished as the gifts of God that they are. Fathers, stop it. Stop provoking them to anger. Another way you can provoke your kids to anger is by making things harder for them. It's already hard enough. It's already hard enough. As you're training them and bringing them up in the admonition and training of the Lord, I don't want you to confuse. This is a big mistake that happens where parents confuse and they mistake compliance for obedience. And one of the ways that that happens is a parent gets very angry and frustrated with their kids. And because their kids aren't listening to them, they raise their voice, they get angry, they start yelling, they start demonstrating with, you know, violence perhaps, maybe not towards the kids, unfortunately sometimes that is the case. But just yelling, screaming, authoritative and, you know, and then what happens? Your kids they start doing what you ask them to do. And you make the false conclusion that all that nonsense is actually bringing about obedience from your kids. It's not. You have to remember, especially when the kiddos are younger, but really to, at what age? You know, my kids really older when they were older in their teenage years is when they got as big as me and even bigger than me. But when they're young, you're, you're big. They're small. You scare them. You start yelling, screaming, 
you, you start getting angry and out of control, what the Bible calls in the flesh, your kids are afraid of you. So they're thinking in their minds, in their little developmental minds, I'm going to do whatever it takes so mom and dad will stop it. And then you walk away going, well, they did what they needed to do. No, you're actually crushing them moment by moment. That, re- that behavior requires repentance. It's something I also learned from James Dobson, to get on your knees, look your kids in the eye, and ask for their forgiveness. Admit to them that you too, even as an adult, fail. That you handle things the wrong way. And then commit to the Lord through prayer not to scare your kids like that. It's not getting you where you, you get compliance and you get a temporary peace, but you, you know what else you develop? Inward rebellion and resentment. And you wonder why at times when they get older, they don't want anything to do with you. Because of anger and frustration. Don't provoke them to wrath. Let me give you a list of things that can also be provoking. Number one, when you smother them. Smother them. Never giving them a chance to take, or never giving them opportunity to take chances. Another way to provoke kids is by showing favoritism. Favoriting one kid over another. Thirdly, another way to provoke your kids is comparing them. Comparing your kids to one another or to other ones and always making them feel less than someone else. Number four, another way to provoke your kids is pushing their achievement beyond reasonable bounds. You know how this gets lived out? It gives, gets lived out a lot of times in sports and academics where you're literally living out your life in your kid's life. And so you're pushing. You wanted to be a professional baseball player. You didn't make it, so you push your kids. But they actually don't even want to play baseball. They want to paint. <laughs> it's like they just want to be painters. No, no, you're going to be. And so what do they do? They comply with you. Why? Because you're their parents. But it can provoke them. And a lot of this is internally. They're not going to get up at a five-year-old and yell at you and scream at you. I can't believe what you're doing to me, Dad. They're going to actually try to please you. Same with academics. Maybe you, didn't, you weren't able to you know, go as far as you wanted to in school, but you're going to make your kids do it. You can provoke them to wrath. Number five, you can discourage them. Provoking them by just always being a bummer and discouraging them. Six, failing to make your child feel wanted is a provocation. Always treating them like they're an intrusion on your life. And even the kind of side jokes Well, you know, you were just an accident. There is no kid alive today that is an accident. None. Not even you. Not even you. Number seven. Using love as a tool for reward and punishment. That's a painful one. And I know as I'm going through this list, you kind of think back in your own life. You go, man, that's how I grew up. Which is why it may be in your home today where your parents would love you if you did good and withhold that love if you did bad. That's provoking your kids to wrath. Not only that, number eight, another provocation is failing to let your kids grow up just a normal life. Most of what your kids are going through are total kid stuff. That's it, it's just a kid. Just let them be normal kids, experiencing life at that age. Number nine, physical and verbal abuse. I mean, that's an obvious one. No child is to ever be abused physically or verbally. 
period. There's just no other explanation on that. Some of the worst type of provocation comes in that realm. Another one, number 10, is teasing and taunting them. I mean, you're, especially when they're younger, but at any age, like they're developing. This is how they're going to learn how to see the world. But more importantly, this is how they're going to learn how to see God through your behavior. We only get kids for a short time and then it's over. You know, I remember saying that early on when my kids were younger and just like, no, never happened. No, never happened. No, never happened. No, oh, it happens really fast. They grow up very, very quickly as we launch them into the world. Instead of provoking them, notice we're to nurture them, bring them up. That's the idea. We're to bring them up. It's a nurturing word. I found in the home, nurture is an important thing. And nurturing involves discipline. Discipline. It's the same word that's found in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6. Let me read it to you. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. That word chasten, discipline. Discipline. There is discipline and instruction needed in our homes. I know that the popular culture, this has been with us, but it's more popular now, where parents really believe they're super progressive, that they're exactly on the cutting edge of parenting 101, 201, 301 is this attitude. You know, I'm not going to give my kids much discipline. I'm just going to let them grow up and choose for themselves. I've, 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 there's a few things that I've heard that are less, more foolish than that. That is a foolish way to raise your kids. And it's not even true. It's not true. You don't let your kids grow up and you have a lot of discipline. Again, maybe not you, but those listening in, listening to Christian radio right now. Well, you know, that's my parenting philosophy. It's not true. There's a lot of discipline you have in your life. You, you don't let your kids, you know, here in Colorado, you know, your kids wake up. Hey, dad, I just want to let you know I'm going to ride my bike up and down and across I-25. Sure, son. Just tell me. I'm going to let you discover how I-25 is. Let me know how it goes. It's foolishness. Of course not. You know, Dad, I'm going to go out in the backyard and start a big fire. I just want to see what fire does in our backyard. Of course you don't do that. There's so much discipline in a child's life. And just typical stuff. But when it comes to spiritual, their spiritual life, it's a foolish decision. Just, oh, I'll let them grow up and they can choose for themselves. No, you have a responsibility to help them understand the God that loves them. And Dad's... You're the chief discipliner of the home. Or a better way, you are the chief discipler of the home as you lead your home as unto the Lord. Now, with single parents, I'm not going to separate a Bible study on single parents. Just for those of you that are single parents right now, single dads, single moms, everything I say you can just double because that's what you're living. It's harder. Times two, times three. You've got all the challenges of parenting and you're doing it alone. And we applaud you for the hard work that you do. It's challenging enough to do it with a partner. It's even harder to do it alone. But you can't just abdicate your kids because you're a single parent. You now to press in even deeper, allowing God to lead you so that you are fulfilling both roles, both dad and mom, until your circumstances change. There is discipline and instruction that's needed in the home. You see, it's in the training, it says in verse 4, and admonition of the Lord. Your home needs to be in the Lord. It needs to be of the Lord. 
all the behavior needs to be going toward the Lord. What does God say on this matter? How does God want to help me? What am I supposed to say? How am I to do this? The questions that we have in parenting need to be taken to the Lord. Rather than causing your child to question your love, discipline actually confirms your love to your child. A child that lives with consistent, grace-based, loving discipline that's fair, firm, and consistent learns that you love them. They may not be able to articulate this. You know, when you tell a kid, and I'm exaggerating to make a point, but when you tell a kid, you can't play with fire, that is a statement of love. It's not just stay away from fire. It's this will hurt you. This will hurt people you love as you train them along the way, as you help them work out their sibling rivalries and difficulties, as you help them when they go to school or they're having a problem with a kiddo in the neighborhood. The Bible says in Proverbs 13, 24, he who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. And might I add, discipline is not physical abuse. Abuse does not equal discipline. You have no permission every in any way. You have no permission in any way to abuse your child, period. No exception. Let me read to you a few things that are signs of abuse. So you can examine yourself, mom and dad. Abuse includes unfair and unrealistic expectations. Abuse includes degrading and demoralizing behavior toward your children. Abuse, signs of abuse uh, have with them going to the extreme, being harsh, brutal, and I even found one definition that used the word torturous. That's abusive. Things that are motivated, actions that are motivated out of anger or your own personal resentment. Actions that create a terror environment in your home. Actions and words that emotionally damage your children or destroy a child's spirit besides the physical aspect of abuse. Hitting them, slapping them, pushing them around. Your kids are not your property. They belong to the Lord. They've been entrusted to you, but they're not your property. And even so, with your property, you're not to abuse your children. They're not, they're not your property. Signs of godly discipline include these kind of words. Fair, firm, consistent expectations. Actions that uphold their dignity and respect. Words and actions that are balanced and within limits. Painful, but not abusive. And we wanted to teach our kids along the way. I know spanking is used as like the go-to for discipline, but spanking is reserved for outright rebellion and should be used very sparingly, if at all. Most discipline is to bring about pain in a child's life that's associated with sin. So whether it's taking something away, whether it's refusing kind of limits, or the, the idea of bringing pain associating with sin. You know, a lot of times you interpret something as outright rebellion in your kids that's just childish. It's just a kid being a kid, but it ticks you off. And because you're in a position of being upset, then you respond in being upset and almost always go over the edge with your kids. And it just needs to stop. It's not from the Lord. The kind of anger, and listen, I think it's a word from the Lord. The kind of anger that's in your house is not from the Lord. 
It's just not. It doesn't reflect his love, his mercy, and his grace. And even as you're angry, to step back and wait until the anger subsides, then bring discipline into your kid's life would be a great choice to make. Just let it, let it, like, like, so maybe you are upset. Maybe there's a trigger in your life. Okay, so separate, pray it through, come back together and talk about it when you're not so angry or frustrated. Because that kind of parenting style not only creates resentment in your kids, you know what it does? It creates resentment in you too. Because now you start to blame your kids for your anger problem. It's your anger problem, not your kids. It's your problem. And, and it's, as you look at your home, there are times where I just have to look at you as a pastor and go, you're the adult. You're expecting your kids to act like an adult, but you're not even acting like an adult. That's what this little verse, like these few words, cover a multitude of our behaviors in the home. There is a profound difference between crushing the spirit and shaping the will. Godly discipline involves a healthy respect that strengthens a child's spirit, that is training them. This, the ultimate goal as you're getting them to Jesus is to train your kids how to discipline themselves. Right? Because the whole goal is one day they're not going to be with you 24-7. And when they're not with you 24-7, what do you want? You want them to make the same decisions they would make as if they were with you. That's the training. You would want them to make, that's why hypocrisy doesn't make any sense to a kid. You're training them to make a decision that you yourself's not, you're not even making. But the whole goal of discipline is that when they're separated from you and they go to school or they start driving or they head off to college, that they are well aware of their relationship with God and came from an environment of love where the door is always open for counsel, always open. They're not afraid of you, but rather willing to come. All of that so that what? When they're away from you, they'll make godly decisions on their own. That's the whole goal of parenting to train up a child in the way they should go. Because they won't always be with us. We want to, one of the responsibilities we have in discipline is to build up a child's love and inner strength to give him or her the security and self-confidence that will provide a dependence upon the Holy Spirit throughout the remaining years of their lives. We are both modeling and teaching them how to love God and to love others while avoiding the pain and the stain of sin. And remember, there's a difference between normal childhood behaviors and rebellion or defiance. And don't be that parent that defines everything as rebellion when it's probably just simple childhood silliness and foolishness. Every growing child needs space where he or she can discover, learn, make mistakes, and experience all the other things growing into maturity. And when there's rebellion and defiance, there's appropriate discipline for that behavior. But parents, do your kids know how much you love God? Do they know how much you love God? I'm going to answer that for you. The answer is yes. Your children know how much you love God. Because that's how you live in your life. That's how you live in your home. Now you may think, 
that they think you love God at a level 10, but because they live with you, they know you really love God at a level three because that's your behavior. It's like, oh, no, yeah, we, we're a godly home, but if we were to in, interview our kids, I mean, because they're kids are they're like carbon copies of us. You get mad at your kid oftentimes because they have characteristics that you yourself, where do you think they got that from? They're like you. And you even joke around. It's like, oh, he's acting like you. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, kiddos, they want to grow up, grow, grow up and go, oh, I'm going to parent better than you. I'm going to do it better than you. Well, I hope the Lord gives you a kid like you. Tell me how it goes. Oh, I'll tell you how it goes. Okay, I'll watch you as it goes. Listen. Your children do know how much you love God. And they know how much you love them. And it's never too late to step back and reevaluate where you are in your relationship with God and your relationship with your kids. Your home is the primary place where you get to exercise Christian love. It is the primary place where we get to grow up together. It's not here where we all put on a face, we all take a shower, put on a face, put on nice clothes, we come together, let's go to church. It's great to be in church, but the primary place where things are lived out is when you wake up in the morning in your jammies and your hair is all over the place. If you have hair, it's all over the place. <laughs> and you got coffee breath and you're upset and your kids are upset. And that's the place where God develops us. And to me, even though I'm not the perfect example, I would never ask you to follow me as a parent. My kids could tell you over the years of all the mistakes that I've made that we continue to make even as we're adjusting to their adulthood, because that's a whole different adjustment. Learning how to adjust to adulthood, learning how to adjust as an in-law, learning, that's all different. Like we're always continually growing. But remember, through the process, God is discipling us. He's discipling us. We're the one learning. And so my kids could tell you of the ongoing mistakes that we, Marie and I, both make in, our, in the human realm of parenting. So we're not the perfect example. However, we do have a perfect example because of all the descriptors that God has chosen to relate to us, he says that he is a father. We even sing that song. He is a good, good father. And we have a good example. We have a father that's selfless and sacrificial. A father who gave his very best so that we could be our very best. A father that nurtures us, instructs us, teaches us, and even disciplines us. A father that never gives up on us and is always encouraging us to higher levels of love and grace. A father that's faithful and reliable and dependable and consistent. Dads, moms, grandmas, grandpas, aunts, uncles, we blow it. Of course we do. We blow it in the home. We make mistakes. We say the wrong words. We do the wrong things. But God is ready to forgive. And he's ready to help and support you. Dads, moms, don't provoke your kids to wrath. Don't provoke your kids to anger, frustration, and resentment. And if you find that you have, humble yourself. And ask your kids for forgiveness. Admit your failures. Let your home be an environment where the weaknesses are exemplified as much as the strengths are. And even if you are a parent today or not a parent, it's funny, it's, um, it's interesting because when we talk about singleness, 
you know, there's a lot of married people here in the, in the room. So we talk about marriage and singleness. But you know that all, everyone can relate to one and not the other. Did you know that? All of us have been a single. All of us. There are many of us that are married, but all of us have experienced singleness. Do you know it's the same with parenting? We all can relate to parenting. Why? Because we're all a kid. We may not all be parents, but we're all a kid. We've all been born into a family physically and reborn again into a family spiritually. And we can all relate to God as a child of God, our Heavenly Father. And as His kids, we are discovering day by day the joys of relating to a Father that never leaves us, never hurts us, never gives up on us. And it was Billy Graham that said this, and I quote, children will invariably talk, eat, walk, think, respond, and act like their parents. Give them a target to shoot at. Give them a goal to work toward. Give them a pattern that they can see clearly, and you'll give them something that gold and silver cannot buy. Parents, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. So Father, we pray for your wisdom as we embark on a journey of parenting, and in some cases, the privilege of grandparenting, of what that looks like in our lives, Lord. We, we admit to you our weaknesses. We admit to you our frailties. And we pray that you would give us a sense of, of relief because this is one of those studies where how can we possibly stand before you like with any kind of arrogance or pride as we look at all of our weaknesses and failures. We, we are not, we, we just, I just pray right now that scripture over our church that there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ and that you would relieve the pressure. There's some prodigal kids out there that their parents just think it's all their fault. It's not. It's not. The adult kids are making their own decisions. And they're going to suffer the consequences, even as we do as well. It's going to be pain because of sin. So I just pray you relieve, relieve, like supernaturally right now, relieve the guilt and shame that mom's carrying right now, that dad's carrying. And just constantly release those kids to you, Lord. And also bring them home. Bring them back. Bring them to their senses. And for those that have little kiddos in the home, Lord, give them wisdom on how to shape and mold their will, pointing to you, Lord, strengthening them, helping them, growing them, training them, bringing them up, nurturing them. We need a lot of help, God, and we're ready to receive it, ready to be used in fresh new ways until you return. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand together, church. The feedback last night was there was a lot of activity that took place out of a message like this. There were, you know, maybe you need to begin to have home devotions again. Or maybe gather the kids together and pray. Perhaps, you know, right, like I felt like praying right now is you have a prodigal kid in your life. You got to stop blaming yourself. Yes, mistakes were made. But your kid's an adult. They're making their own decisions. Or maybe a teenager. You know, they're starting to rebel and they're checking things out and trying to learn what that, okay, but it's not your fault. 
They're making their own choices. They're as painful as they are. And so the pastors will be up here to pray with you if you need it. If you just need to have that affirmation of the Lord's presence in your life. But more importantly, if you're a prodigal to your heavenly father, just think of the pain that you're bringing to him and to the body of Christ. You go, wait a minute, can I hurt God? Yeah, the Bible speaks of grieving the Holy Spirit. The Bible presents to us Jesus Christ weeping over a city that had rebelled against him and resisted him. God relates to us emotionally and you can't hurt him, yes. But you can also come home and repent. And come back to a place of serving him. So let's sing this song to him. Pastors will be up here to pray with you, encouraging you in the Lord. Uh, don't leave here all beat up. It's not God's heart for you. But leave here encouraged that God can make you a better parent. I mean, I, I'm living proof of that. God can make me and he's still making me a better parent. And I'm so grateful he intervened in my life. And I'm so grateful he's intervened in your life. But can I just say this too? There are some of you that are unable to conceive a child right now and it's really painful to hear a parenting message, we pray for you. And Lord, I just pray right now that there's just an emotion flowing right now, just thinking I wanna be a parent but I can't be or I haven't been or I, I had a miscarriage or all kinds of thoughts. I just pray comfort and encouragement because even so they have influence on kiddos until you resolve that. I think of Hannah she was desperate before you, Lord. It was so painful. So I pray you'd meet the women and the men and the pain as they're waiting for you to work in their lives when it comes to parenting. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.